So when you hear about people, you know, taking their dogs to obedience courses, what do you think? Good thing. And why do people take their dogs to obedience courses? So that they can uh, kind of be behaved. And uh, we, I want to talk, you know, Christianity is about, is, the unique thing about Christianity is that God so loved the world that he sent his son to die on a cross that we would be reconciled to the living God. And the amazing thing about Christianity that is, is in no other faith is that God, you know, we heard about the, 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 the precious stone that was lost and that cool story of, of looking for it and, and, and wanting to find it and then finding it. Well, God, God finds us and he calls us his precious stones, but he finds us in order that we might actually live with him and walk with him. And it's called, uh, you know, we, we keep on saying here, Christianity is about relationship, not religion. Religion is what you do to keep yourself on the good side of the God that you don't know. And relationship is about how do you walk with God in a way that uh, enriches life. The reason why human beings love religion is because they can control their relationship, which is non-existent. It's a superstition. Coming to church to, to, to appease a deity is not, is not uh, Christianity. It's, not, it's religion. Whereby I do the things that I think you need me to do so that you will be pleased with me while I get on with the rest of my life. And relationship is far more um, invigorating, but it's also demanding. And we often get messed up what this relationship looks like. Who'd like to be a volunteer for a minute? Nobody, because nobody trusts me, I know that. I mean, I, I'm very clear on that. Okay, so Bev's going to come because, or you want to give a testimony or something. Well, you know, you never know. But thank you, Bev. Bev trusts me. Yeah, I want you, Bev. Uh, Beverly Spidell, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, real simple thing, Bev. just want you to draw a straight line. It's got to be perfectly straight on that piece of paper, please. Perfectly straight. Um, you can... You can't... So you could use a ruler if you wanted to. Would you like to do that? Do that, please. Do two. No, you can do whatever you like. You can do another one underneath. It's easier, that thing. Isn't she doing well? You can't see, can you? But okay, carry on. No, don't worry. They'll see at the end. They'll see the result of your perfection. Thank you so much. That's all I need you to do. Uh, can you tell the difference between these two? Well done. Give her a big hand. I mean, that was pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> what if that's an example of obedience? What if, what if obedience is about, um, why did you want to use a ruler? Because you said up here you can't draw a straight line. Why can't you draw a straight line? You crazy? Yeah. Can anybody draw a straight line? Perfectly straight. Time after time. You can't. So in, in, in the end, what you do is you say, I can't draw a straight line. But when I say, would you like to use a ruler? You say, absolutely. Why? Because this ruler will help me, help me do something I can't do. What if obedience is like that? What if obedience in the eyes of God is nothing more than helping us accomplish what we can't do naturally, your free hand? That's it. See, many of us have the ruler, and that's the result. I think you're thinking that. At school or something... You know, bad, bad, you got it wrong, bad. But what happens if actually what God is talking about is, is saying, I am the ruler who actually comes to complete you. And I am the ruler that is not here to demand obedience, just to invite you into freedom. You don't have to stress out on getting the line straight. You just need to, in relationship with me, I will give you the straight edge. And our thing is that we don't trust that because we haven't experienced it very much. We experience control. Satan, who lets you do the free hand, is actually far more controlling. doesn't necessarily feel that way, but it's how it works. 
I want to invite you to consider obedience as being an invitation into relationship with God that actually leads to freedom. And all that he's, all he's giving us are guidelines and equipping us to actually not walk in the straight and narrow, but just, you see, there's, there's lots of times, some people come up, I mean, we talk about this often, where, uh, you know, what are you thinking, what do you, I, I want to know what God wants me to do with my life or the rest of my life. And my response these days is uh, uh, kind of freehand. Well, what do you want to do? What would you like to do? And we get this image of God's, God saying, no, I only want to, you, you can only do this if it's perfect. And he goes, no, I, I, I want you to participate in this. You can have freedom within the con- with, w- as well as the ruler, if, if it will. Does it make sense? Both, both are part of his equation. He doesn't have, he knows the plans he has for you, but he doesn't have a perfect plan for you that is painted in numbers. You paint by numbers. He's not a control freak. He just looks at you and he knows what he created and he knows who you are and he knows the things that make you come alive, which is what Stephen Ian talked about, which is, I've always wanted to be a drummer. And there's this thing of he gives you the opportunity to go, well, come and play. But what if I make a mistake? You've already made mistakes. You can't make a mistake if you're practicing because he's not a control freak and he's not into perfection. He's into process. He's into learning. He's into trying. He's into joy. Like we talked a few weeks ago, have you ever had a parent who's depressed because, and phones you up and says, little, little Jimmy who's, who's you know, 11 months old, uh, he fell when he tried to walk. It's so depressing. I'm so disappointed. You go, no, he took one step. Isn't that cool? That's the heart of God. So in, in our relationship with God, in our following Jesus, we often have to unlearn things that are false. He's much nicer than we are. He's much kinder. In Jeremiah, I read to you, you know, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to give you life, not plans to restrict you. Some, I was reading this book. It's called Not in God's Name. It's by a Jewish rabbi out of England who's very uh, well known and very respected. And he's, he's written this book uh, really looking at why can't the major religions, um, Islam, uh, Islam, Judaism and Christianity, give space to one another to coexist. He's not making a judgment on which is right or wrong. That's not the point. But his opening phrase is just um, too often in the history of religion, people have killed in the name of the God of life, waged war in the name of the God of peace, hated in the name of God of love, and practiced cruelty in the name of the God of compassion. When this happens, God speaks, sometimes in a still small voice, almost inaudible beneath the clamor of those claiming to speak on his behalf. And what he says at such times is not in my name. And what that is, is there's a lot of free... There's a lot of free hand with God. God told me this. God told me that. God does this. God does that. And we project onto God things that he doesn't actually say. And we do a lot of damage in the name of God. And, and so if we let go of the ruler, we end up interpreting God in our image. We, te- we end up thinking God just thinks as we do. And God is made in our image. And therefore, the ways if, if I'm feeling this, then he must feel it. And so I say, God told me. And he might not have as, at all. And it's why we need the straight edge. We need the scriptures, basically. And we need one another to say, is this God or is this me? This is a fun topic, isn't it? Isaiah 55, it is fun, actually, because once you've got close to the ruler and experienced drawing a line with him, you don't ever, you're not afraid of it again. You see it as a gift. So I can do freehand, and when I need to do a perfect straight line, he comes in and helps me. 
In fact, he helps me in all of it. Because he, he hands it over and says, you try. Isaiah 55 says this. I mean, I'm just about to get into Jonah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, if that's true, one of the things that I can anticipate in following God and knowing Jesus is what? I'm not going to get it right very often, or a lot of the time I'm not going to understand. And so we call to follow Jesus, and he calls us into a place of trusting in him, even when we don't know where we're going, even when we don't know what it looks like. And a great example of that is Jonah. And Jonah you can read uh, in, in so many levels. Jonah, if you read the story of Jonah, you know the story of Jonah. Um, he's called to go to Nineveh and he doesn't. He goes to Tarshish. And then he, he, well, he pays his way to go to Tarshish. That's just a little clue, by the way. If you, can, if you can decide where you're going to go and you can resource yourself to go there, uh, you might want to question whether that's God or whether it's just you. A lot of people use the phrase that goes, um, I made that decision and I feel such peace. And often it's relief. It's not peace, it's relief. Phew. I don't have to do that anymore. Because God wouldn't want me to be stressed. And good, God wouldn't want me to be uncomfortable. You need a sense of humor with this topic. You and I are not the most accurate um, measures of what God is doing in us and around us. We need one another. So Jonah's story, let's uh, just look at Jonah's story because uh, it's not a children's story. Jonah actually grew up about four miles away from Nazareth. And, and I'm not going into this a lot, but you could read the whole book of Jonah and you can get the, the metaphor of Jesus you know, in the, in the belly of the whale for, for three, month, three, month, three, three days um, and the, the resurrection, all that, all that stuff. But I want to look at this whole thing of obedience with Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, Jonah is a prophet, and we've got a lot of, um, yeah, we're going to go to prophetic conference prophecy. I just wonder if we would hear a prophecy like this. When I was studying in England, and they were get, people were having their placements as to what churches they were going to go to after they were ordained, they used to make the joke that God calls everyone to the south of England, because the north of England is too cold. Jonah uh, he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And then as he was on that boat, a storm blew up and he was afraid and the people around him were afraid. Sometimes the circumstances we're in are not Satan and there's no point in rebuking Satan. It's God allowing us to be in circumstances because he's trying to get our attention. What might God say to you and me? See, Jonah had this prophetic gift and God says to him, go to Nineveh and preach to them about forgiveness and mercy and my love. And we go, well, why didn't he do that? Nineveh is a place and has been a place for a long time of, of a people of great brutality. In Jonah's time, they were renowned for the Assyrians. It was the capital of the Assyrian stronghold. They were renowned for their cruelty. They were renowned for the way they just brutalized people when they conquered them. And Jonah would have been terrified as well as angry. But I want to kind of make this more pertinent to us today. Nineveh is really in the location of the town of Mosul today in Iraq. Nineveh is, Mosul is one of the headquarters of ISIS. And what the people were doing in Jonah's day was probably worse than what ISIS is doing. And you know what ISIS is doing. ISIS is killing 
randomly all over the place. There's a book by Tom Doyle called Killing Christians, which I read a few months ago. Uh, There's a story in there. It's a story of men and women who are in Iraq and around the Middle East who have actually given their lives for Jesus in the midst of the ISIS uh, persecution. And there's one chapter where um, this one man has become a Christian because he's questioned. He became a Christian because he went into the Christians in Mosul. They meet in secret. And he came into that group. He was invited by a friend. And they could lose their lives at any time. And they said to him, he, he, he looked at the way they prayed and he said, I want to pray like you. And he came to know Jesus. And Jesus appears to many, many people now, particularly in the Muslim faith, as a man in white. And he says, I am Jesus. And he reveals himself to them. And the interesting and the humbling thing about these, these, these encounters is that these guys don't meet Jesus and then go to America. Their mentality isn't about the Lord has blessed me with a revelation of himself so that I can be safe. So he becomes a Christian and they go to prayer meetings and uh, their lives are changed. Iraq is known as one of the most corrupt countries in the region. There's nowhere more obvious to us than in our religion as Muslims. We're not supposed to drink alcohol, for example. And he goes on. To, um, I just want to... When Khad- this is his wife. When Khadija and I became Jesus' followers, we knew immediately we were called to take the message of grace and forgiveness to Muslims. We prayed and fasted, asking the Lord where he wanted to send us. In 30 days, we had our answer go to Mosul. At first we were thrilled simply to have a clear direction and then the reality of our calling began to sink in. Mosul is the ancient city once called Nineveh. Jonah chose to run from God rather than to obey the call to go there. Now I could understand what he must have felt. For centuries the Ninevites have earned a reputation as the most brutal regime anywhere. The prophet Nahum had also brought a message of repent or else to the Ninevites which worked for a while but they quickly returned to their treachery. They killed, tortured, and maimed men, women, and children and bragged about it. They even were even known to skin people alive. Others so feared the Ninevites that sometimes entire villages committed suicide once they found out Ninevites were heading their way. Today, Islamic terrorists who rule this ancient city carry on their legacy. The parallels are hard to ignore. The same ancient strongholds have gripped the people there since before Jonah's time. Mosul would be no vacation, that's for sure. And they go to Mosul... And he goes to a temple and he hands out Bibles to the Muslims. And his wife and two children are there. And then one day, he, uh, it was a Friday, Shakri is his name, or sh- stood in the kitchen doorway and watched for several seconds as his wife prepared their morning tea. She hadn't noticed him. Love of my life, good morning. Khadija brushed her hand across her eyes and smiled softly as Shakri as he, at Shakri as he continued, I must talk with you. She turned and faced her best friend, of course. The Lord woke me up this morning and as I was worshipping him in prayer, I believe he spoke to me. Shakri paused, measuring his wife's reaction. I felt like the Lord said to me that I'm going to see him today. Khadija's jaw dropped. Oh, Shakri, no, I'm I'm not ready for this. We're only in our 30s. I can't bear the thought of losing you. I beg you, don't go to the great mosque today. It's Friday and the message must mean that you'll be killed when you pass out Bibles and tell people about Jesus. But Khadija, I've been reading in the book of Acts, and God's message to me could also mean that the Lord will appear in power to the Muslims there as well. I don't know if I was being told I will be martyred or that Jesus will appear. I could die, but I'm not sure. This could be the breakthrough for Muslims in Mosul. 
Remember, for Jonah and Nahum, everything changed in one day when the Lord intervened. Fast forward a few hours and he goes to the temple and of course he's arrested and he's killed. And his wife writes at the end of this, God sent Shukri and me to Mosul to bring the fragrance of Christ to this dark and evil city. As we had prayed, we reasoned that we would be martyred for our glorious Lord someday and it would be an honor. But now that Shukri was really gone, it did not feel so honorable. I share these words several months after I lost my beloved Shukri. I'm not sure I would have been able to compose myself and voice my feelings before now. I ache for him. It's hard to put into words how much I miss my husband. He loved me with the love of Christ. And little Sarah and Wallet were lost without their loving Abu. But the Lord's grace is rebuilding their shattered hearts. Yet you must know this. We are not leaving. God God put us in Iraq, and here is where we will stay. Perhaps you too have been called to persist at something God has called you to. I am convinced it is our duty as servants of the Most High to stay, go, or continue doing whatever he says until he tells us otherwise. The hardest thing to talk about, though, is how cruelly Isis tortured Shakri before he died. They slashed him with knives all over his body before shooting him at least ten times in the head and chest. They dragged him off and buried him in a patch of sand. The police called me to the scene to identify Shakri's body, and when I arrived, they had already pulled him out of the shallow grave. They showed me the note Isis had pinned to Shakri's shirt and told me that when they found him, Shakri's right hand was sticking out of the ground and pointing toward heaven. Only one thing helped me bear the sight of my dear Shakri sprawled on the ground, bloody beaten and lifeless. He was smiling. It's hard to read. And that's in the, within the last two years. And what moves me and strikes me is that's a man with prophetic ministries. And God can call somebody to death. Because we live in a culture where to follow Jesus is to say he's just about blessing me and he will never call me to something like that. And that's what Jonah felt and so he went to Tarshish. And when he went to Tarshish, all hell broke loose on that boat and those men who were with him said, who, do, who are you? And he said, I'm the one who worships the God of heaven and earth and the waves and the sea. And they, they said, what do we do? And they actually, the men who didn't know God were, were said they were rowing as hard as they could because they didn't want to throw Joshua into the sea and eventually they did and the sea calmed down and Joshua went into the belly of the whale and in the belly of the whale he cried out and sometimes it takes the belly of the whale to bring us to a place where we say God, 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 I give up. See our image of God can be God is good, God is kind, God is passionate, he searches for the lost but he's also a God who says I need people to lay down their lives. I need people to go to the people who don't know me because I love them as that, that, that losing that precious stone. He's got lots of precious stones in Mosul. As Port Alberni, who will go? Well, none of us will go because we don't hear God like that. We can't believe God would ever say that to us, so we just don't even register it. I'm not speaking with any accusation. I'm merely talking about God is bigger. And so he calls us to sometimes difficult things. And then, of course, the other side of it, like I grew up, was, well, if God's going to speak to me, the only thing he's going to say to me is go and do something terrible, like go to Canada. You know, he's only going to call me to something because in Canada they don't want to go to darkest Africa. You know, it's, it's, it's always going to be some negative thing. That's why God's heart has to capture us. He's got to capture us to the point where we know, we know, we know his passion and his love. And once he's captivated our hearts, like he did with Shakri and his wife, he goes, as, as John Wimber used to say, I just want to be coins in your, your pocket. What do you want to do with me? I'm, I'm here. There's nothing in my life I want to do more than obey you. 
because I'm, I'm built for obedience. I'm built to serve you. And obedience with God is keep in relationship with Jesus and have a lot of fun. Die with joy. Lay down your life. And for those where Jesus is really working, the laying down your life is, but I couldn't do anything else. It's not even a sacrifice. And we need to ask God to change our mindset so that we become just passionate servants. And it's joyful. What can I do? One of the things we're going to have in this church in the next while is how can we serve our youth? How can we have more people? There are not enough people to serve the children right now. And if we had about 10 people who just said, I'll I'll serve. I can give up a, a Sunday morning. I can give up. I mean, you get to escape my sermon, so there's, a, there's an incentive. But there's, you know, just, and you go, and what do we do? We go, well, well it's not convenient. I don't want to commit because I might have something else. And, and you go, but why don't you commit? Because you find in the commitment comes the freedom. You, can't, you find in the risking comes the growing. You, can't, you find in the dying comes the life. And Joshua tried so hard. I mean, I, I don't want to bore you my story, and you've got your stories of running away from God. It's not fun. It was for about a week, but for a long time it wasn't. It was turmoil. In your heart of hearts, you know. You know when you're running. You know when you're ducking and diving. And Joshua went through his depression on the boat before he was thrown over. I mean, he basically went and hid and slept. Some of us are sleeping too much. You're sleeping too much because you're running from God. Just thought I'd share that with you. If your life sucks and you're depressed, you're probably not just running from God. You're just afraid of his presence for you. And you need other people to help you come out of it. That's not a rebuke. That's an invitation. There are ways we can see in our lives that are just coping behaviors that actually are leading to death. My ways are not your ways. God speaks over you with a passion that you and I still are trying to embrace, a passion of love, a passion of assurance that if you could see my ways that I have for you, you would take hold of them. And you know there's this bizarre thing where Stephen was the first martyr in Acts and if he was standing here now, he he would have said, what a glorious death. From my blood, the seeds of Paul's faith were nurtured. And once you've gone through death and you've seen life, we're going to talk about this at Mike's funeral, once you've gone through death and seen life with Jesus, we'd all be saying, hey, shoot me now. God is so much bigger. He's so much greater. And Joshua got vomited out. of It's an awful picture. Vomited out of this fish onto the beach. (laughs) You know what's so disgusting about this? It's the first thing God says is, hey, Josh, go to Nineveh. After all of this running and all of this, oh, he saved me, thank God. And he says, yep, good news, bad news. You're saved, now go to Nineveh. And Joshua says, yes, sir. Jonah, Jonah, I mean, thank you. Well, somebody's listening. Jonah. No, Joshua was better than that, as far as we know. And Jonah, you know, says, yes, sir, and off he goes to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh, and he, de- he walks three days into the city, and he declares to them the, 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 the love of God, the grace of God. And they repent. They go into sackcloth and ashes and they repent. And then he's ticked off. And he's so ticked off, he says, I knew this would happen. What do you mean? Well, they've raped and killed and slaughtered everybody. You have me come in here and say, Grace, they repent and they get off free. You ever feel like that? They deserve something. Me, I need grace. No, I, 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 I need your blessing. But they, you deal with them. And God then has a plant grow up over, over Joshua. Jonah, I don't know why I'm getting this. Anyway, that's all right. Jonah, keep you engaged. Um, Jonah, you know, as a plant go up to shade him from it because it's getting really hot and he's got this attitude. And then in the night a worm comes and knocks it down and he gets all ticked off about that. And and God just says, Jonah, who do you think you are? You get all all out of sorts because this plant that you didn't even grow, it it dies. And and you don't care about the Ninevites. And he has this, this... 
people who love animals will like this. You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And then he puts in, and also many animals. The heart of God is so full of compassion, so full of kindness. And God calls people into all kinds of places. And Jonah's, the story of Jonah is about our willingness to hear the voice of God. To hear the voice of God that calls us into the blessing, but also calls us into sacrifice. Calls us into the, the richness of his relationship with us, but also calls us to say, will you go here? Will you serve here? Will you offer yourself here? I long for the time as a church where we just I, I go, we have to invent things for people to do because we don't have enough space for them to do stuff. Where we're just, we're just so wanting to see God's richness grow in Port Alberni that we're not just praying all the time and worshipping all the time, we're serving. We're creating the place where people can grow, where they can encounter Jesus. Where we're, we're actually glad to do that. And they will know you are Christians by your love laid down in lifestyle. The greatest freedom is walking in relationship with the ruler who is the one who resources us. He's not the one who punishes us. So... What's God saying to you? I don't know what he's saying to you. I hope he's speaking to you because it's full of life. He's, he's, let's stand. Let's ask him to speak to us more. Just talk to him. It's called ministry time. And ministry time is just having a little time with Jesus on our own together. Like, Lord, will you land this word in our hearts and spirits in a manner that brings life? So for some of us, we're in situations that maybe are struggling or discouraging and we need that encouragement that we heard from that w- the wife who says, uh, you know, you might be in a place where you need to persevere and you might be exactly where God wants you to be and it's not easy right now. And Father, I just pray um, strength and just invite Jesus into that place. Don't assume that because you're in a difficult time it's because God doesn't w- isn't with you. Don't assume that because you're in a difficult time it's all about Satan. Just thank Jesus that he's with you right where you are. And, and just say to him, Lord, help me to find you here. That my rejoicing will start here. And the chances are, as, as you do that, he will actually equip you to move through it quicker. For some of us, you might be running right now. And you might know it. I don't have to push this one at all. You just know in your heart, because we do. In our heart of hearts, which is our spirit. God's spirit bears witness to our spirits. And you might be avoiding something, you might be running from something, you might be putting something off. And you just need to know from God that you're busted. He knows. He loves you. And he, he kind of can't throw all of us into the canal and bring up a whole lot of whales. So he just says, don't be afraid. Just let me know when you, you don't want to run anymore. Because we will have the same conversation And I I could share my story again with you. I spent six or seven years asking him to change his mind. And I am here to testify he wouldn't. Freedom came with submitting to that. And now looking back, I go, thank God, thank God, thank God. You see, his ways for us are so much better than ours. And the thing I'm trying to communicate to us today is that our thoughts really aren't his thoughts. And sometimes we give too much authority to our thoughts. And that's why we need one another to test our thinking, to test our hearing. So Father, if we are going in the wrong direction or if we're in a place that 
is inhibiting you. Will you just show us that? Will you just show us that? And then we can just, you know, we can just say to him, Lord, help me to want to. Help me to want to change or help me to want to let you in. Or he, he, Wherever you are is fine with him. He just says, I'm here for you. I'm not here to, to beat you up. I'm here to set you free. And there are others of us who maybe he's calling us to do something that we're resisting right now because it's not comfortable. Or it it's causes us to think, well, I'm not going to have so much freedom anymore in our terms of freedom. He might be wanting you to serve. He might be wanting you to volunteer. He might be wanting you to deal with something. And, and Father, I just pray blessing on those people. Just that uh, at last it's time to move because with that movement is life. And, and Father, I pray that we would hear your voice not just for how it impacts our lives, but we might hear your voice in the way that you speak to us about, can I use you so that I can bless them? Will you, will you, will you allow me to, to use you even though you're making a sacrifice? But your blessing will come as you step into what looks like a sacrifice. So this is a, a funny kind of message. I don't know how to end it other than just say, Lord, will you just give us ears to hear you? And may we be not afraid because everything you call us to, you equip, equip us for. So thank him for what he has for you. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. It's very good. And you might be the answer to somebody else's prayers right now. So Lord, I pray that you just release in us a deeper desire for obedience, whatever that means. And where we've had bad experiences of obedience, we just ask for healing. Where we've been abused, where we've been misused, where we've trusted and we've our trust has been betrayed. We ask you to forgive as we forgive. And as we break bread together now, will your Holy Spirit just minister to us that the fullness of life is in the relationship with Jesus and one another. So we bless you. We bless you that you love the people in Nineveh. You love the people in Mosul. They don't know what their right hand is doing and what their left hand is doing, but you love them. It's like you love us. And as Jesus laid down his life and he went into Nineveh, which is our lives. So you call us to lay down our lives. So Holy Spirit, give us the passion and the love of the man and woman that we read about this morning, of Jonah, who eventually did obey. And we, we share this meal because it's a, it's a reminder to us of the sacrifice and obedience of Jesus and then of his disciples, how they laid down their lives, how they gathered together and how they obediently said, here we are, Lord, Use us. Let the rest of our lives be an offering to you.